look at this passage from Revelation, but it's actually part and parcel of a series we're beginning. And um, I don't know about you, having gone through 20 months of uh, uh, this pandemic, it seems rather apocalyptic, doesn't it? You know, these are the funeral pyres in India because they are out of crematoriums, morgues that were set up temporarily in San Antonio, Texas. And this is, of course, Wuhan, where uh, the whole thing broke out and started. And, um, you know, they could almost be scenes from movies of, you know, uh, 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 the end of the world. But they are actually real life, uh, um, what we are going through at this point of time. I don't know if you know where this term apocalypse comes from. It's derived from the Greek term apocalyptain, which actually means to uncover or to reveal. And apocalypse is actually what uh, the book of Revelation is in the Greek. You know, it is the revelation, the unveiling uh, or the lifting of the veil of what is to come. Uh, today, in particular, is when we celebrate as the, uh, uh, in the Christian calendar All Saints Day. Uh, all Saints Day is a day we remember all the uh, saints that have come before and are, are you know, a part and parcel of the Church of God in that sense. But I don't know if you know this, All Saints in the Old English is called All Hallows. And so this evening will be called All, all Hallows Ian. Halloween is derived from the fact that it's the eve of All Saints Day. But interestingly, today is also considered Reformation Sunday because on this particular day, 31st of October, 1517, Martin Luther, knowing that you know, All Saints Day was a high feast day and people were all coming to church, he prepared you know, uh, by putting up the 95 theses which launched the Reformation. And so we remember all those things. But we are starting a series which uh, I've entitled Beginning with the End, uh, which starts in pre-Advent. Today is the fourth Sunday before Advent, and then right through the season of Advent. And it's an interesting time in the church calendar because we close the year. The Christian calendar uh, begins with Advent. So these last four Sundays are the last four Sundays of the Christian calendar, and then we begin the next uh, 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 um, church year leading up then to Christmas. And I think most of you already know this because we've talked about it every year. Advent it doesn't just help us prepare for Christmas, remembering Christ's first coming, but also, and more importantly, and in the history of the church, it was a time in which we look forward to the second coming. And certainly, you know, um, that's why I use this term beginning with the end, which I obviously borrowed from Stephen Covey and his seven habits for highly effective people, right? His habit number two was to begin with the end in mind. But, um, you know, if we talk about our own dreams, he, his point was that, you know, you need to know what you are looking towards and you need to dream dreams, um, you know, daily also, you know, what you're trying to accomplish in the day. You know, human dreams often end up as pipe dreams. In other words, they never happen because <laughs> they're too uh, idealistic and never really attain it. Or worse still, our dreams can turn into nightmares. But if we uh, have God's end in mind and what He has revealed, I think you know that's the best way to live life because God's vision of the future is accurate because He is the one who holds the future in His hands. And we're going to look at the book of Revelation and uh, um, it's the book in which um, the Apostle John, you remember, of course, that all the disciples were martyred 
John was the only one who wasn't. He didn't lose his life, but you know, next best thing, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And if you read from Revelation chapter 1, he was there on the Lord's day and the Lord translated him and brought this vision before him. And the book of Revelation is really the um, um, unpacking of that. I know one of the cell groups is going to be doing a series in Revelation. I commend you on that. You know, it's interesting because uh, it's often a, a time in which people, um, uh, in, in, in times like this, we, we look towards uh, uh, the future and want to know how to understand it and how to unpack it. But I want us to look at this simple passage which comes in the second to last chapter in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. And uh, we're going to um, look at it to try and unpack for ourselves what is up ahead for us, to give us then the confidence we need to live in the here and now. We start from verse 1. John uh, reports, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And we see that at the end of time, there is a time in which the old will pass away. What we know will disappear. And interestingly, he says there, and the sea was no more. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are dreaming of vacations, right? We've been stuck here for <laughs> a long time. I know some of you have already booked your tickets and you're headed out on these vaccinated uh, travel lanes. And uh, good for you. But, you know, one of the things I'm waiting for is for the VTLs to open up uh, in our region. Because, uh, my wife knows this, one of my favorite things to do on holidays is actually to go to a beach resort. Um, you know, I, I like nothing better than go and just, you know, go there and do nothing. And, and just chill under a coconut tree, you know, with a drink in hand, a book. Or don't even need a book, I'll just fall asleep. <laughs> you know? And I love it. And sometimes when I read this, uh, it says the sea will be no more. I'm wondering, huh, do I really want to go to heaven? doesn't sound like much fun to me. But actually what John was saying and was unpacking for us is the um, picture of what the sea is. And the image of the sea, not only in biblical literature, but especially in the book of Revelation, is the sea was a place of chaos. Sea was a place where the source of evil arises. You know, in uh, chapter 13, verse 1, we are told that the beast arises from the sea. And, you know, it's, it's a, a, a picture in which, ultimately, if you read the chapter before this chapter, verse uh, chapter 20, um, the, the uh, text tells us that, you know, ultimately God will deal with all evil and with all chaos and will hurl Satan and his demons into the lake of fire. Right, that in the end, God wins. <laughs> I was telling the uh, Saturday service yesterday. I had the privilege of attending a class on Revelation when I was uh, uh, in in seminary, and my professor is a Johannine scholar. He's well known as one of the uh, New Testament scholars of John. He's written commentaries. He studied John. He's also a Greek professor. Uh, professor who teaches uh, the Greek language, Koine Greek, which is the biblical language. And so he knows, you know, scripture back and forth. And I remember vividly his first class. We all were there, eager, you know, got our notebooks up. And he said, you know, I've been studying this book for many, many years. And I have to admit to you, 
I still don't understand it. And like, whoa, <laughs> you can hear the air going out of the room. <laughs> you don't understand how, what hope do we have of understanding? But he says, you know, I'm still learning and discovering new things about it. And he says, you know, even if you can't understand it, know this. In the end, God wins. That's the chief message. In the end, the Lord is sovereign. And that's the picture that we see that, you know, we ask this question, why doesn't God deal with evil? He's saying He will. That the old will pass away and the new will come. And it's so important for us to have this perspective in life. Because, you know, it's interesting that if you look through church history, very often it was in difficult times that the church, that the people of God looked towards apocalyptic literature that they began to study Revelation more fervently, look to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, which is also uh, one of those. And, you know, it's, it's because they realize that, you know, there's so much evil in the world, they ask the question, God, where are you? And they look to the future and it brings comfort that seeing God is in control and that in the light of eternity and what is going to happen in the end, we avoid despair in the present we know that god has a hold of the future and that his plans and his purposes will not be thwarted you know that's what helps us then to have faith in god and when we have faith in god we have hope in him as well but on the flip side you know and i, I think this is uh, uh, tragic because you know while we may in bad times want to study apocalyptic we should also study it in good times <laughs> because it reminds us that all that we see here and now will eventually fade away that we don't get so caught up in the life that we live here and now that we forget about eternity you know i remember a, a, a video i watched on youtube uh, uh, Francis Chan trying to illustrate eternity and, and you know he had this long rope to ex, you know, explain eternity and then showing how uh, the, the context and say eternity is this rope that reaches around endlessly <laughs> you know and, and, and it, we, we must have that perspective and keep our eyes and realize you know that we don't get caught up in the finer things of life because these things too will pass away that the groaning of creation will eventually end. That the pangs of childbirth, you know, uh, is what the earth is going through, creation is going through at this moment. That's what uh, Romans 8 tells us, uh, what Paul was encouraging the saints at the time. Uh, I, I don't know about you, sometimes um, 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 pregnancy can seem more than it's worth. I know we have uh, several ladies here who are going through it. And I remember when we had our three children, you know, although it's, it's a glorious time and we're grateful for uh, the life that's coming, it's not always easy. And certainly labor can be very, very difficult. I remember when we were expecting our first child, you know, um, we were in the labor ward and, and, and Karen was waiting to deliver and it was taking a long time. And I remember like midway through the process, we heard a cry next door because I guess the walls are not that. <laughs> you know, a cry of a baby that was obviously being delivered. And I don't know, but my heart melted you know, <laughs> at that point of time. 
And, and that's the case, right? And you, you see the caricatures and it's true, as you're going through labor, you're saying, oh, we're never having another child. But once you hold that child in your hands, you say, when can we have the next one? <laughs> you know, all the pain is forgotten, is what I'm trying to say. And that the joy of, you know, uh, this new birth, the joy of this new life, it overwhelms everything that you uh, see as, as painful and difficult in this life. But as we carry on then, in uh, verse 1, it also points out that there is a new heaven and a new earth. And if you stop and you think about it, why does God need to create a new heaven? Right? If heaven's a perfect place, you know, okay, maybe he's talking about the heavens. But I think it goes beyond that. I think, you know, what uh, uh, Scripture is pointing to is the fact that it is going to be a new order. As you know now, there is a divide between heaven and earth. Right? Our sin has created this divide between us and God. But when eternity comes, when the consummation of time occurs... When the last, uh, uh, you know, Jesus comes in the final judgment, He will, you know, forever tear into that great dividing wall, the, 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 the veil that was torn into at the temple, you know, that happened at Jesus' crucifixion and His death, will literally be torn into, and that's why there needs to be a new heaven and a new earth. But we go on then in verses 2 and 4, and it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And it's a new city, a new city of God. But I think the clue is this, it calls Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, his bride. And we know that throughout Scripture, the bride of Christ is the church. It's the people of God. It's, you know, whom God is going to draw together and is drawing together from every nation and tongue and tribe and language. A couple of weeks ago, you know, despite all the lockdowns, you end up having a lot of conferences and meetings, right? I'm sure all of you have discovered that. But a couple of weeks ago, I was a participant in the Lausanne Asia Congress. Uh, Lausanne is an uh, organization that was set up by Billy Graham and uh, uh, John Stott in the 70s with the view of you know, uh, seeing how the church can band together and unite to hasten the evangelization of the world. And you know, it started in the 70s, my dad was a part of that movement and now you know, in uh, 2021 I'm also a part of it and, and it's full circle. But it was a, a glorious time because there were about 1,300 participants from all over Asia uh, church leaders and, and, and people who are, you know, working in, in Christian mission organizations and the like. And it was amazing because they had like nine different uh, simultaneous translations over Zoom, right? It, it was um, um, quite a, a task, sometimes technical issues. You hear the translator, they didn't switch to the right room and suddenly you hear someone translating in Hindi. <laughs> they had to give them instructions and so it was a little bit of chaos. But it was also wonderful and glorious because I was especially moved by uh, um, leaders who came from the church in China, who for so long have been underground and, you know, persecuted, but through Zoom could connect with the rest of the world. And we heard stories of how God's moving mightily in China and how they have taken on this um, 
um, great commission that they are trying to send missionaries out, you know, and they've um, raised the bar, you know, I can't remember the numbers that they had mentioned, but they're looking to send missionaries into a lot of nations that don't have uh, access to normal missionaries. I think you know with China's Belt and Road, you know, they are penetrating all kinds of countries that normally people in even Western countries can't get into, but China can. And the Chinese missionaries are using that as an opportunity to bring the gospel. You know, but this is an example of God drawing His community together, of every tongue and tribe and language and nation. And it's a glorious picture of what's happening in the New Jerusalem. But in verse 3, it continues, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And this is a picture of, you know, God saying that, uh, um, you know, I want to have that full relationship with those whom I love, that I have created. That if you read on in chapter 21, you will realize that the description of the city and all the dimensions, it, it, it makes very clear towards the end of the chapter that in this city there is no temple. Because God himself dwells amongst them. He doesn't have to be confined to a, a holy place that, you know, it is, he, he will truly be with his people. And then we carry on in verse 4. He says, And I, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And really what we see here is the picture of new creation. You know the story of creation, of course, right? You read in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 is the macro picture of creation, you know, where he created the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and the birds and the fish and the animals, you know, and the plants and everything else. But then when you go to chapter 2, it is uh, zooming in to God's creation of humankind, creation of Adam and of Eve. You know, and it's a wonderful picture, you know, of course, each day that God created, He said He deemed His creation good, good, good. But when He gets to the crown of creation, us, He says it was very good, right? He looks at everything that was done and it was very good. But where's the disconnect? When we look out into creation today, it's not very good, is it? Right? We, we hear all kinds of stories of how creation's upside down that, um, you know, uh, uh, we need to be much more mindful of um, um, the ecology and, and uh, mindful of being a wise steward of this earth. And creation's upside, you know, are, are, are in trouble in many ways. And of, of course, we know as Christians, Genesis 3 is the problem, right? When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, it, sin entered the world. And all of us as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve are also tainted by that same sin. And creation is tainted by that sin. And here we see God's intention to reverse the curse. His plan that He set in motion, right? From that very time until now, we see its full consummation. That we know that as sin enters the world, we see death and decay and disease. But when we get to eternity, it will be a place where death will be no more, where every tear will be wiped away. There's no more mourning, 
no more crying, no pain. Those who have gone before us, we will be reunited with again. And we look forward to that soon coming. And it says there in verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And this word, behold, really stands out. It's a repetition of what was said in verse 3 when he, he, he spoke uh, to John and he said, behold, right? Uh, and, and this word, behold, um, I was studying the text and uh, Joe Mangina, who's my doctoral supervisor, has written a, um, a, a commentary on Revelation, a theological commentary, not a traditional type of commentary. But his uh, point that he made about this word, behold, is this is this word is ultimately God inviting us not to act, but to see. Not to perform, but to watch in awe. Not to take action, but to rejoice. In other words, you know, God invites us to surrender our lives to Him and in humble reception to receive what He is going to do and what is up ahead for us. And it ends, the passage ends in this way, and he said to me, it is done. Right? Which echoes what Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. But now it is done. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega, of course, in the Greek, are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. You know, in other words, it's, it's completeness. Uh, I was uh, telling the young people because they identify with it. You know, Amazon claims to be uh, the uh, ultimate retailer that you can have everything. That's why in their logo, you see the A to Z. There's a, um, uh, an arrow pointing and, and implying that they have everything. And of course, if any of you have in this last 20 months because of the pandemic, having to buy stuff online, you realize Amazon doesn't have everything. <laughs> you can try so you look at Lazada, Shopee or Taobao or whatever, you know, to try and find the things that you need which you can't seem to find. But uh, uh, it is God himself who is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end and we are complete when we are in him. And it is the God that we place our faith in. This is the God on which our hope uh, uh, relies and you know this is the message of Advent why Advent's so important for us as Christians because Advent tells us that we live between the times of when Jesus said it is finished and when God will ultimately declare it is done what theologians speak about as the already and the not yet you know, we realize that God has saved us gloriously and mightily, and we rejoice in that salvation. But we also know, living on earth today, that there are so many things that still don't quite line up. Our lives don't quite line up. Our hopes and our prayers don't quite line up. You know, we, we, we ultimately believe, yes, that God will heal, and God intends to heal. But you... And I know that we still struggle with disease. It's not to say that God, you know, is impotent and doesn't want to heal. 
or, or he, he has uh, uh, unconcern about our cares, he does. You know, we've seen this happen time and time again where our, our prayers uh, um, 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 are answered and, you know, it, 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 it takes place. Karl Barth points out that what other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent? And it is how we learn to navigate this in-between times that are so important. That's why I had the gospel reading read, which is the passage we know well of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And if you look at that story, it's an interesting story because, you know, it's quite obvious that it points to what is to come, to the eschaton, the end of time. You know, earlier in the passage, uh, part of the passage which we didn't read in verses 21 to 26. He uh, encountered Martha, and Martha was saying, Lord, if you had come earlier, my brother wouldn't have died, but Lord, we know uh, God grants you all things. And so there was faith in God, uh, in Jesus. And then Jesus says to her, do you believe that he will rise again? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe he will rise in the resurrection, pointing to the end of time. (laughs) And it's like, whoa, wait a minute, you said Jesus can do all things. You didn't believe that Jesus can raise him from the dead. <laughs> you know, and, and so she, she, she tried to um, speak a theological truth. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection, the truth, uh, uh, the way and the life. Right? And, and he, he points out that uh, resurrection will happen through him. And we know how the story goes. Right? We read it earlier. That Jesus called f- to Lazarus and he said come forth and he did but you know what because we live between the times although Lazarus lived again it was for a short season I can tell you for now for sure 100% certain Lazarus is dead <laughs> he eventually died as well because we are still living between the times between the word of it is finished and the word that will come that it is done And we place our faith in this God whose word is yes and amen and it will be completed. And we see in verse 6 it ends, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. My mind goes back to the story in John chapter 4 of the woman at the well that Jesus met. And remember that, you know, when Jesus promised her that, you know, she would have a well which will never run dry, she jumped at that chance. Jesus was speaking to the fact that not that she was physically thirsty, although she was, but she was emotionally, socially in her heart of hearts, thirsting for something that she never found satisfaction in. Right? In her case, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? Multiple husbands and the man that she was now with was not even her husband. And if we think about human life today, so many of us are thirsty and we look to have that thirst quenched in all the wrong places. And Jesus calls out to us and he says, if you are thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 
Last week, I, I preached from Isaiah 55, and, you know, it, 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 it says, come all who are thirsty, you know, come and drink, and come buy without money. <laughs> and I made this point. You know, very often, um, sometimes because of marketing gimmicks, we tend to equate free gift with cheap gift, right? They say, oh, I'll give you a free gift, and, you, you know, promise something, and then after it arrives, you say, ha, huh? like that, <laughs> you know? You consign it to the uh, dustbin because it's, it's, it's cheap. But we should never mistake the fact that just because something is free, it necessarily means it is cheap. Because from time to time, we do receive a free gift, which is valuable, incredible worth. It's free to us, but it's not cheap because someone else paid the price for it. Isn't that right? And this water of life that we receive without payment, free to us, came, comes to us at a price. It is the grace of God. It is the eternal life. It is the satisfaction we find in Him that Christ paid the price for on the cross. And that's the invitation that God gives to us and makes for us as we go through this season of Advent. It's uh, um, what we need to receive. You know, we, we, we have our faith in Him, we place our hope in Him, but ultimately, we learn to love Him. I, can I get the worship team up and uh, prepare? And, you know, We understand the love of God, even in this picture of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, within that passage in John chapter 11, there's that verse, verse 35, which is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. And yet it is such a powerful verse. It says, you know, if you, someone asks you to memorize Bible verses, you know, volunteer to memorize John chapter 11, verse 35. It says, Jesus wept. And here is Jesus encountering the death of a dear loved one. He was very good friends with Mary, Martha, and the brother Lazarus. And despite the fact he already knew what he was going to do, he wept over Lazarus' death. I believe he wept because he realized his life was cut short too soon because of sin that has entered this world. And God weeps. God has suffered. God is pained by what sin has wrought in this world. And in that moment, we see God's great love for us, which was fully demonstrated ultimately then on the cross. And this is the God who invites us, those of us who are thirsty, telling us to come and receive and drink deep from this well of life. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Let us reflect on the Word of God. I don't know what you've been going through, the pains you have faced in this life, the ways in which you've tried to numb the pain through self-medication, through busyness, 
through chasing other things. The Bible warns us that those things can never truly fully satisfy, that the thirst will remain. The only way that we can be satisfied is when we are complete in Him. And I'm going to pray a prayer, but then the response will come with the song that our worship team will lead us in. And we will invite you just to sing this song in your hearts to the Lord. Inviting Jesus to come again afresh into your life. That you may be complete in Him. That you will dwell and abide in Him and He in you. You invite the Holy Spirit to come afresh as well. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide bone from marrow, soul from spirit, and cuts right to the heart of the matter. Lord, I believe you have spoken to us this morning. Those of us gathered here in this place or watching online. And we hear clearly your invitation to come, to drink deep from the well, from the fountain of life that you provide. Lord, we acknowledge our thirst. Lord, we come before you afresh. Those of us who have never drunk from this well, Lord, we invite them and we ask that, Lord, you would meet with them in a fresh way. But those of us, Lord, who have been drinking but have turned aside to other wells, Lord, we return to the well of life that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We receive your invitation. We respond to it. We ask and we pray all these things in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's stand as we respond to the Lord through the words of this song.